but also exciting brews like a cherry milkshake IPA. Holy cow! <laughs> Damn it. No. Tim would be so disappointed in that garbage. Welcome to the Powder Hounds Podcast, a podcast about just having fun, skiing, and riding. I'm your host, Jeff Shawman Shaw. It is Thursday, October 1st, 2020, and we're recording live from Meadow Lane Studios. For those new to the podcast, you'll hear stories from the slopes, I'll pray laughs, and fun ski trivia games. The theme of this episode is Indie Pass Adventures. This episode will feature familiar segments. Good ski news of the week ish, listener questions, and ski and ride trivia with new topics including leaf peeping. Yes, I'm talking world class fall foliage and a feature on the Indie Pass kicking off its second season. The elevators are setting the tone for today's episode with the song Meridian. They will be touring in 2021 with a stop in Marshfield, Mass. in July if you want to catch the vibe. Until then, sit back, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding, Patterhounds. First segment is a familiar one, an outdoor state of mind, being recorded outside. Now we have two topics for today's segment, on the golf course and fall foliage. Now we are going to begin on the golf course at Gillette Ridge in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Now I recently got together with uh, my college crew for our annual golf tournament. It's usually a team scramble with roughly, I don't know, 30 to 45 golfers. This year, it became a COVID-reduced golf invitational, consisting of two foursomes, <laughs> uh, mostly guys closest in our circle and certainly geographically nearby. Now, we decided to change it up and do a team best ball, and in that scenario or those rules, everybody plays their own ball at all times, and you just simply use the best score per hole as counted on the team scorecard. So the expectations were, for whoever was paired with our friend Justin, who was clearly the best golfer in the group, would probably run away with the title. Now, he, I think, is a single-digit handicap. He just joined a country club and was able to play a lot of golf this summer due to the pandemic. Now, judging from the first tee shot, which everyone observed, because we were the first group out, he effortlessly lofted a five iron to the middle of the fairway. 
things were looking promising. Though, on his second shot, the approach shot, this was questioned a bit as he sliced it into the rough and proceeded to three-putt. So, not a great start. Now, first of all, he's not a skier, so he will never listen to this podcast, but he really stunk it up at the start. I mean, his shot selection was terrible. He was very disappointing. So, again, first hole, bogey. Second hole, par three, sliced into the water, so he had to hit again. Third hole, he actually did make it. It was a par five, made it to the green in two, but then three-putted. On the fourth hole, a drivable par four, as I recall, hit into the trap, then could not get out of the trap on his second shot. And on his third shot, crushed the ball over the green, and I think ended up with like a triple bogey. And on the fifth hole, (laughs) he sliced his tee shot into the woods for another lost ball. Meanwhile, my first five holes were par, bogey, par, bogey, par. Shockingly, I was carrying the team. I knew this by teeing off first, thanks to uh, playing with honors, at least initially. However, at hole six, a par three, my other side surfaced, and I proceeded to end the front nine with a triple bogey, quadruple bogey, and back-to-back double bogeys. Any, Any sense or thought of maybe breaking 40 or shooting in the low 40s quickly vanished. Now, I did manage back-to-back pars on the back nine, one of which won me closest to the pin and some cash. So that was nice. Uh, But fortunately, Justin, as we all thought, eventually found his groove and absolutely crushed it on the back nine with another eagle putt. He did make the birdie this time and also made another birdie on a different hole. Unbeknownst to us, the championship was already in our grasp and we won by a comfortable six strokes. Now you may ask yourself, why does any of this matter? Well, I'll tell you. I've been playing in this damn tournament since 2005 and not once even sniffed the top of the pack. Now, the names Kyle and Jeff join Justin with our names forever etched on that cheap, yet comically large, championship trophy. (laughs) It was a good day indeed. As for our second topic of this Outdoor State of Mind segment, fall foliage. Now, I received the following email message from the Connecticut Office of Tourism recently. It said, quote, ready for some leaf peeping. Head no farther than Connecticut, where you'll find New England's longest fall foliage season. Running from north to south steadily over about six weeks, the fall foliage coverage varies, but there's always somewhere to see the colors change. Our friends at the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection have posted suggested driving loops to get you safely out and about during prime leaf peeping season. Now, there are seven loops, scenic Fairfield County, Litchfield Hills, Hartford West, the Quiet Corner, Mystic Country and the Coast, the Connecticut River Valley, and New Haven and Neighborhood. Now, the loops are actually pretty long. The shortest is 70 miles, and the longest is 115 miles, but they do include 6 to 10 recommended stops along each loop. Our plan is actually to attempt two of these seven loops based on the estimated peak times, the first actually this weekend. Uh, And, of course, the estimated peak times are basically the month of October, though the dry weather could accelerate the timeline. So if you're going to go leaf peeping, do it soon. We're going to attempt the Litchfield Hills loop this weekend, which begins in Torrington and does sort of a northwest-east loop. Recommended stops in Fall Village include a short hike along a section of the Appalachian Trail, 
food uh, or lunch, I guess, at West Street Grill in Litchfield, who, which has outdoor seating overlooking the town green. Now, I actually stopped there once and had a beet salad, which I remember was very tasty in what I'm calling <laughs> at the time my summer of beet salads. As Kevin will recall, the similar tasty salad in New London when we, we've, we discovered it. Um, so again, that's West Street Grill. And then finally, no driving stop or loop in the northwest part of the state is complete without a stop in Canaan at Great Falls Brewery, the home of Lazy Hazy Housey IPA and Happy Camper S'more Stout. But they also have some other exciting and seasonal brews like Shake It, Shake It, Sugary, Cherry Milkshake IPA, whoa, and Pineapple Guava Passion Fruit Fruit Snack, yikes. And if you want something more seasonal for the upcoming winter season, how about Ski Tracks, a spicy winter ale? Now, Great Falls does have deck seating, reservations are required, and they also provide curbside pickup. Now that other loop we were eyeing is the Hartford loop that actually starts in Windsor near the Bradley International Airport and does again another west-north or northwest-east loop through Granby, Hartland, Riverton, back through New Hartford, Canton, and Avon to Farmington. The now there's a ton of places to stop along this route, but I would suggest three things, three places, three stops: Talcott Mountain and Simsbury. Do the short hike up to the Hublin Tower. I actually toured the tower during an Oktoberfest, I want to say last fall maybe. And the views from the top observation deck are absolutely stunning. And the history even of uh, the, the architect and the owners is pretty interesting. I, I recall the owner was involved in A1 steak sauce and Shmirnoff vodka for whatever it's worth. <laughs> so check that out. And also do a little Matterhorn mini golf in Canton. That's right, the Augusta of miniature golf is right here in Connecticut. Now the owner personally designed every hole and it is absolutely quality and just, uh, just, just wonderful, super challenging. And they also do league nights on Tuesdays if you wanna play some preteens for $20 in cash. Now not on the, <laughs> not on the recommendation list, likely because it's outside of Connecticut, but again, if you're in the Northwest part of the state, check out Moolicious Farm in Southwick, Massachusetts, the, the famed Southwick Notch, uh, uh, featuring ice cream and grilled foods, but their um, most notable product, the Moo Nut. It's an ice cream filled donut shell with all the fixings. So check it out if you are in the area. Now, final thought on this, uh, whoever was in charge of this fall foliage loop project must have had a blast driving around, looking at trees, and eating and drinking tasty food and beverage. Hopefully, he or she was at least driving an electric vehicle. Let's move on. Our next segment is a familiar one, Good Ski News of the Week-ish. Our topic, Bluebird Backcountry. Now, I'm certainly not the first to cover this topic and will not be the last because this is super cool and oh so timely. Now, I first noticed this in an article in Forbes entitled New Colorado Ski Resort Perfectly Positioned for Pandemic Winter. Bluebird Backcountry offers everything you'd expect in a typical ski resort. Trails, grooming, ski patrol, food, bathrooms, warming huts, parking. The only thing they don't have? Lifts. Not one lift, no rope tow, no double, 
no detachable quad, no bubble, no gondola, no tram, just foot power. That's their jam. I <laughs> uh, just decided to bust a rhyme right there. A Powderhounds podcast first. That's right. You earn your turns. The concept is entirely aimed at uphill skiers and riders, an industry first. Now, it did operate for a test partial season in a different temporary location based on permitting last winter to assess demand for the product. And this was actually pre-COVID. Guess what they found? There was demand and a lot of it. So here's the deal. 1,200 acres of inbound terrain with an additional 3,000 acres of guided only skiing and riding. Located on a privately owned ranch at 9,845 feet on Bear Mountain near Rabbit Ears Pass, 30 minutes from Steamboat. They can accommodate a maximum of 200 guests a day, again, on terrain the size of a mega mountain like A Basin in Colorado and their 1,400 skiable acres. Now, in the test run last season, they actually, this is interesting, ran into a conundrum. The trailhead and the ski area were separated by a two-mile hike. So they got creative. To break it up, they actually set up a pop-up bacon station about halfway through the hike. Uh, And not surprisingly, everyone loved it, and apparently bacon is now going to be a strong theme moving forward. Now, from the resort's perspective, co-founder and CEO Jeff Woodward describes Bluebird Backcountry as, quote, an uncrowded, powder-filled backcountry adventure, end quote. His colleague, Vicki Hormuth, the executive director of the Avalanche Safety and Education Program, went on to say, we expect backcountry use and demand for avalanche education to be at an all-time high this year. Recreationists of all abilities and backcountry experience levels will be looking for uncrowded places to play, making education more important than ever. Bluebird Backcountry is filling a much-needed gap to help resort skiers and riders transition properly by learning both backcountry and avalanche essentials in a comfortable environment. Bluebird's model is the future of inbounds backcountry learning. Now let that settle in for a sec. In terms of access, day passes and multi-day passes will be limited and require reservations. However, season pass holders will have unlimited access to the mountain with no reservations required. In terms of pricing, early bird pricing is set at $299 and you can add on Bluebird Plus, which is essentially an uphill course progression package for $250. And to add on an avalanche safety course uh, progression or package, it's another 250 to $550, again, based on what you, uh, what courses you select. Now, Bluebird also will offer a range of group products for companies, organizations, or anyone looking to bring friends and family for a new outdoor experience and adventure. Again, these courses will offer hands-on learning with backcountry gear, movement, skills, etiquette, and leave-no-trace principles to help backcountry travelers develop good habits and prepare them for avalanche training. Opening day is set for December 24th, 2020, and closing day, March 28th, 2021. It will be open five days a week, Thursdays through Mondays, with on-site camping available Thursday nights through Sunday nights, with no reservations required. Now, I don't know about you, but if I lived within range, (laughs) I'd be buying a pass. Hopefully, a Bluebird East will pop up, just like that tasty bacon station one of these seasons. Let's move on to another familiar segment, listener questions. 
Now, I'm doing listener questions earlier in the episode since the main topic will cover the question and answer. Hillary from Scranton, Pennsylvania writes, I bought an Indy Pass and have only been to two mountains on the pass. Which mountains should I check out? Well, the answer is it's a great question, one I've spent some time thinking about, as you will hear in in a bit. Uh, But judging from your location, I assume you've been to Shawnee in Pennsylvania, about an hour away with Greek Peak in New York, also within one hour and 30 minutes. Uh, So that's two two day trips right there. But you can also do day trips to Catamount on the New York-Massachusetts border, Berkshire East, and Mohawk Mountain in Connecticut. In terms of which ones you should check out, certainly Magic Mountain in Vermont will provide that throwback experience that many skiers and riders are going to be craving this season. And Cannon Mountain in New Hampshire is actually a new addition to the Indy Pass that a lot of a lot of folks are excited about. So it's a great question and segues perfectly for the main event of this episode. Moving on to our featured segment, Winter is Coming. The featured topic, Indy Pass Adventures. So stoked to talk about the Indy Pass as I quickly scooped up my Indy Pass in early September. And that purchase, I guess, essentially symbolizing a winter season is coming. So I'm going to begin with a new-ish. <laughs> you, you probably noticed by now I'm a big-ish kind of guy. But uh, welcoming email message from IndyPass founder Doug Fish to pass holders. I will then do a pretty deep dive into the details of the IndyPass with information compiled from the IndyPass website, Partner Mountains, as well as multiple interviews with Doug Fish. Enjoy the ride. So the email message to pass holders began... Welcome to the revolution. No, this is not a political rally, but a message to all purchasers about the Indy Pass for the 2020-2021 winter season. The message reads, the Indy Pass revolution is all about people taking control of their skiing and riding by creating an incredibly affordable pass for an alliance of scrappy resorts across North America. We are expanding awareness for the hundreds of independent, authentic ski areas that don't have mega marketing budgets like the conglomerates, but in many ways offer a better experience. Indie resorts are less crowded, more affordable, laid back, and welcoming. They are the heart and the soul of skiing in the Americas, and our goal is to have an indie resort within easy reach of every skier and rider on the continent. You're making that happen by supporting this fiercely independent coalition. 85% of all revenue from the Indy Pass is returned to our partner resorts based on redemptions. These are small businesses, many family owned and run, and the hidden gems that make up the backbone of the sport we love. Your support is critical to their sustainability. Pass sales are growing, but we are competing with corporate conglomerates who wield multi-million dollar budgets and represent some of the highest profile resorts in the world. Ours is a grassroots effort and success depends on word of mouth and social sharing by our pass holders and partner resorts. Please tell your friends, post your photos, tag our resorts, and share your experiences this winter while using your Indy Pass. We have a new Facebook pass holders group where people are sharing stories and tips on how to get the most out of their Indy Pass. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for your support and we wish you many happy turns this coming season. Be safe and stay stoked, Doug Fish, founder of the Indie Pass. Now, even if you don't yet have an Indie Pass, aren't you, dedicated listener, just a little interested about this promise of a positive skiing and riding experience considering the world we're living in? I am. 
Incidentally, you may have caught a, a slight chuckle from me. Uh, the Facebook pass holders group referenced in the email has actually forced my return to Facebook after a, I can't really believe this, but a six-month hiatus. Uh, I can't, uh, other than not knowing my, the name of my, one of my best friend's new dogs, uh, I don't think I missed the thing. Did I? Let's uh, now dig into the details. What is it exactly? What is the Indie Pass? Well, it's a frequency pass where you get two days at each partner mountain. So there's many examples of so-called four-pack, two-packs, three-packs of lift tickets that many ski areas sell at a discounted price. Uh, I regularly bought the Winter Park four-pack. I think it was like a buck seventy-nine for four days. Uh, without blackout dates. Ski Vermont does a, they used to do a three and five pack. Now they do a four pack. And um, so again, that's just the idea. There's no, they're not date specific, but you must use them during the current season. That's usually the case with the frequency passes. So again, the Indy Pass is not really a season pass. It's a sampler. Maybe you're wondering about pricing. It's $199 for adults. $99 for children 12 or under, which is new this year. There wasn't a children's option last year. And if you have a season pass at a partner mountain, you can quote unquote add on the Indy Pass for just $129 for an adult or $69 for kids under 12. Now, after you use those two days at each ski area, you get a 25% discount of the day rate, blackout or not, on any future days at a mountain that, again, you already used your, your, your two days at. There are basically no blackouts. Technically, three of the partner mountains in the western or out west have blackout dates. So if you're planning to ski there, it makes sense to buy up to the Indy Plus Pass that essentially renders uh, the, for $299, which renders those blackout dates, um, which covers those blackout dates. But again, if you're in the Midwest or the East, none of the partner mountains have blackout dates, so you can stick to the $199 pass uh, for adults. Now, they also have made some partnerships with uh, area lodging, so at least the 10% discount on participating independent lodging properties are also listed on the Indy Pass website. So again, this is a nice benefit if you haven't been to that ski area or not familiar with the area, there are some leads on potential places to stay. And best of all, the refund policy is simple. It's easy to understand and uh, relatively straightforward. Mentioned, I think, in the past episode, but it's essentially if you use it once, if you don't use it at all, you get an 80% credit towards a pass next season. If you use it once, you get a 60% 60, 60 credit to next season. If you use it twice, 40%, three times, 20%. And if you use it four times, you basically, it paid for itself. That's it. <laughs> now, who you may be wondering who's behind this, You know what mountains are on it. So it's led by Doug Fish. He's the president and founder. He's the producer and founder of Snowvana, the Northwest Get Stoked Festival for the snow sports industry. He's also the chairman of Fish Marketing, the Oregon-based marketing agency behind the Indie Pass that also specializes in lifestyle and outdoor recreation accounts. He's been working with ski resorts of all sizes for more than 20 years. And as the marketing suggests, Authentic, independently owned ski areas are on the pass. Yes, the mom and pops, family owned and run mountains that people want to see last in this and survive in this increasingly competitive industry. So most of the areas are sort of day trip ski areas. Of course, um, there are some that we'll get to that overnights are probably a good idea. 
um, and the fact that most of these ski areas serve their local communities, are big uh, employers, and certainly um, you know the go-to recreational opportunity. So there are 52 ski areas organized into three regions. You have the east with 18 ski areas. Vermont is leading the pack with three, actually Vermont and New Hampshire are tied with three ski areas apiece. Uh, out of that 18, the Midwest has 17 ski areas. There are six in both Michigan and Minnesota. And the West has 20 ski areas, four in Washington state. Now new this year, I guess there are 11 new mountains from the first year. So that's kind of exciting. The, um, the, the roster has grown. <laughs> However, there is a notable lack of presence, which again, just uh, trying to cover all the basics here. Uh, I want to make sure I note the notable lack of presence is in Colorado. There are no part partner mountains in Colorado, nor are there any in the Lake Tahoe area. Of course, both states offer a few options, and I'm sure next year you might see uh, some ski areas from those states. Uh, now, typically, so Doug was um, quoted as saying, typically the low cost and location drives interest in these independently authentic mountains, but once folks discover them, you and me, dedicated listener, the terrain and laid-back vibe and atmosphere keeps them coming back. Indeed, uh, Doug recently said, quote, I realized a long time ago that the heart and soul of American skiing really lives at these small to mid-sized, authentic, independent, hidden gems that most people have never heard about, end quote. So let that sink in for a minute. Okay, why should you care? <laughs> So I'll start with the benefits for skiers and riders. Again, from the earlier introduction, this bears repeating. Independent or indie resorts are less crowded, more affordable, laid back, and welcoming. In the era of COVID-19, this may be the best approach to maintaining an overall positive skiing and riding experience. Don't get me wrong, I love those huge world-class destination resorts too, just not this season. I, I, although I do wonder whether you know capacity limits, uh, you know overflow at, at some of those larger resorts, you know will end up trickling down into the smaller ones. Or, you know, it, it, you could see a scenario where that could be the case, especially in areas where there's a, a you know a big mountain and uh, nearby smaller mountains on the Indy Pass. You know, but practically, you know, it's an affordable multi-resort pass option to skiers who don't ski enough days in the season to warrant the more expensive and pricey season pass products on the market. And that's really what the, the big benefit is. Uh, and it also, you know, a lot of these ski areas are spread out. So there's probably some closer to home than, you know, the, I guess, more or less limited partner mountains on other season pass products. So at least in the east, at least in the northeast, I should say, there is a really good concentration of ski areas across multiple states, but still within a drive, a day trip drive. Now, the benefits for ski areas are really all about that marketing that, that Doug, I think, even mentioned in his um, email to pass holders. You know, it's really a marketing solution for independent ski areas struggling to compete with resorts, you know, on the Epic and Icon passes, etc. And of course, you know, it's supporting the local economy. And, you know, we certainly, I think a lot of us try to support local when it comes to farmers markets, breweries, bed and breakfast, household products, you know, why not ski areas as well? And if they don't make it, you know, can you imagine how much busier the mega resorts will become? So, you know, buying an Indy Pass, you know, it's an investment in the future. How about that? 
Okay, how did it come about and how is it gonna work? Good question, <laughs> I'm asking myself. So the Indy Pass skiers banded together to offer this product, uh, looking for a different, for skiers and riders, looking for a different experience or just to check out new mountains that they haven't skied or ridden before. And the first commitment was from a skier in Idaho of all places, uh, a skier you probably never heard of, Brundage Mountain. And then soon after, a few other mountains joined and the whole thing snowballed. So Doug recently was quoted as saying, you know, the casual skier really only has exposure to maybe 50 or 75 resorts, and it's pretty much all the big ones. And it's because those guys have been dominating what he calls the snow porn media for 50 years. You don't go to a Warren Miller movie and see a travel log about Red Lodge, Montana, or Beaver Mountain, Utah, or Pat's Peak, New Hampshire. You see the same big ones because they have the money to pay for that exposure. He also says that's fine. <laughs> There's just an entire other set of mountains to discover. And uh, that's really the, the foundation um, of, of, of the Indy Pass. He also says, you know, uh, he also shares, I, I guess, we're, we're after the skier or rider that averages four days per season. I'm going to say that again, four days per season. And that's a statistic that he, uh, he got from the National Ski Areas Association, the Trade Association for Ski Areas. The average season pass holder skis 10 days a year. So right now they're going after a market where people average four days of skiing per year, yet I didn't know this. This is actually was pretty shocking to see. The average season pass holder skis 10 days a year. So that's pretty shocking because um, you always hear, sometimes you hear about those skiers and riders with triple digit ski days. And um, while yes, they're absolutely lucky and that is a wonderful um, opportunity to, to do that, they are super rare breed. <laughs> now all of this hinges on capacity limits on, this, on the mountain at the ski areas as, and of course travel restrictions in the states where the mountains are located. You know, some states still have a 14 day quarantine upon arrival requirement for out of state visitors from certain states. And that whole process is gonna create confusion. Certainly some people are gonna completely ignore it while others may follow the rules and just decide it's not worth it to try to, you know, figure out how to how to visit a ski area within those, uh, those confines. Now the IndyPass has stated they plan to update their customers on certain travel restrictions and conditions at, um, or processes, safety processes, protocols at, at certain partner mountains. Quote, we can inform our pass holders what the rules are at different resorts in the region. Though when pressed on this, uh, Doug Fish did say Saturdays or holidays could be a problem at some of you know, the mountains on the Indy Pass, but, um, and mainly because the Indy Pass holders don't have the same priority as other season pass holders, even at those independent uh, skiers, you know, so essentially if you have an Indy Pass, you basically fall into the day ticket category and will need to make a reservation. Uh, though, you know, smaller hills may not have a reservation system, you know, the smallest of the small. So it, in their case, it could be a first come first serve model. And then, you know, you got to get up and get there early if you want to ski. And I know a lot of people won't want to take that chance of getting to a ski area and not being able to ski. But I'm going to end this on, uh, on a, this overview on a fun note and then get into my specific thoughts. Um, so on a, uh, in, in, in one of the interviews, Doug was also asked, you know, again, assuming all of the COVID-19 related challenges are overcome, what if somebody maxes out their IndyPass? So again, recap, 52 ski areas, three you know, essential 
regions, the West, Midwest, and East. His answer was, I will give them a free pass for life. <laughs> he goes on to say, nobody will ever do that. It just won't happen. And if they do, they deserve a free pass for life. So again, um, that would that would mean 104 days of skiing at 52 different resorts, basically across like <laughs> 25 states <laughs> in the U.S. So um, yeah, probably not going to happen. Um, although he did share last year, in their first year before COVID, there were three people who skied 16 days on the pass, and those were their champions. So as uh, How I Met Your Mother bar character Barney Stinson would say, challenge accepted. And I actually see a path towards 22, but so much would have to go right that I give it like a 1% chance of happening. But as someone else once famously said, so you're saying there's a chance. So I'm now going to pivot to what I'm calling the Northeast Route. The launch point is Hartford, Connecticut located conveniently along I-91, otherwise known as the Ski Highway. Well, at least to me. <laughs> From my doorstep, there are seven ski areas on the Indy Pass within a comfortable day trip. Again, less than three hours. Another four ski areas on the Indy Pass are ideal for an overnight or a longer trip or loop. I'm gonna start with the seven day trippers. Number one, Mohawk Mountain, one hour, or 35 miles from my front door. It is located in Cornwall, Connecticut, northwest part of the state, and an easy drive from New York off Route 4. A little bit about it. Skiing Hall of Fame member Walt Schoenecht, created, who created Mohawk Mountain in 1947, also founded Mount Snow in Vermont. It's a family business for the last 70 years with a vertical of 650 feet, trails 26, lifts 8, and night skiing. Actually, 13 of the 18 East Regional Partner Resorts offer night skiing. What's noteworthy? Well, snowmaking was actually invented at Mohawk Mountain in 1949 by Walt. Mohawk is also a member of the Connecticut Outdoor Recreation Alliance, otherwise known as CORA, of which I'm a board member. CORA is a nonprofit seeking to increase outdoor recreational opportunities and participation in Connecticut through access, economic development, and education. So yeah, check out Mohawk this winter. As for COVID notes, they still have their notice from uh, last season's suspension, but they do have season pass information for this upcoming season with rollover options. Follow them on social, on Twitter, Mo at Mohawk Mountain, Facebook, Instagram, and of course their website. Number two, Catamount in New York. One hour, 17 minutes, or 55 miles from my doorstep. <laughs> located in Hillsdale, New York, or South Egremont, Massachusetts. That's right. It's split between the Western Massachusetts and Eastern New York borders. A little bit about it. Catamount has become one of the best mid-sized ski areas on the East Coast and offers the most varied terrain in Southern New England. Family-oriented, close to Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and the Hudson Valley, Catamount is oriented towards all skier types. Again, that's from their website, Those their words. Vertical, 1,000 feet, trails, 42, lifts, 8. What's noteworthy? Well, come summertime, Catamount Zip Tour features the longest zip line in the USA at 5,523 feet. On the winter side, a trail named Shaw Inun shall be my reason to take my first selfie of the season. 
That's right, listeners. You got two Busta Rhymes this episode. <laughs> As for COVID notes, their last statement was from May 20th, 2020. Nothing specific to the winter season yet, but follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and their website for additional information. Number three, Berkshire East, Massachusetts, one hour, 30 minutes, or 87 miles from my doorstep. Located in Charlemont, Massachusetts, or the northwest corner of Massachusetts, about 30 minutes off I-91 in Deerfield, Mass., just down the street from the Yankee Candle Factory. Uh, well, 30 minutes down the street. A little bit about it, quote, Run by the Schaefer family for almost 45 years, Berkshire East is an old-school gem but with modern facilities, a great snowmaking system, first-class grooming, and all operated by awesome people. Our community is made up of longtime locals, first-timers, and folks looking to escape the overcrowded mess of northern mountains but don't want to skimp on terrain. <laughs> I like that. Vertical, 1,180 feet. Trails, 45. Lift, 6. What's noteworthy? Berkshire East is the only ski area in the world to produce 100% of its energy from on-site renewable energy. On the mountain, I'm going to rock my Yukon hat in front of the UMass trail sign. Another example of probably not being the first and certainly not being the last to do that. <laughs> COVID notes, they still have their uh, statement, uh, prevention statement uh, from July 13th, last time I checked. Nothing yet specific to the winter season, but follow them on Twitter, at Berkshire East, Facebook, Instagram, of course, their website. Number four, Magic Mountain in Vermont, two hours, 12 minutes, or 125 miles from my doorstep in Londonderry, Vermont, or Southern Vermont. A little bit about them, their tagline, where skiing still has its soul. Proudly independent, Magic Mountain is a throwback ski experience. Magic combines uncrowded, classic, and challenging ski terrain with a laid-back, friendly vibe and welcoming counterculture ski community. Magic harkens back to a golden age when skiing first captured the imagination of Americans. Oh, that sounds good. Vertical, 1,500 feet. Trails, 50. Lift, 6. Why? Well, or what's noteworthy? Black Magic, as you may recall, is one of Vermont Sports' 10 gnarly trails to check out this season, and a challenge from the Powderhounds podcast for this upcoming season. COVID notes, they've kept pricing flat. They have a very aggressive credit policy. If the season is shut down before the ski area even gets off the ground, full refund for next season, or excuse me, uh, full credit for next season. And then if the season abruptly shuts down before February 1st, uh, February 21st, pass holders get a uh, partial credit for a pass for next season. There are also three new passes recognizing service uh, members, first responders, and essential workers. The service pass, a one big family flat rate pass to help families with more than two children, an additional locals pass for any Vermonter who does not have school-aged children. So again, they've Heard back, gotten feedback from their customers, and have adjusted their offerings uh, to accommodate them. Now, if reduced capacity restrictions are implemented as expected, advanced registrations online will be required for Magic Pass holders, Indie Pass holders, and day ticket customers to access the mountain to ensure uh, their capacity limits are met and skiers know for certain that they can ski here before they arrive. So again, all customers will be checked in and given tickets upon arrival. So no guessing that uh, you may or may not ski that day. That's uh, how Magic's going to ensure everyone has a good experience. 
Now, they may only be open, or they're planning to be open, I think, only four or five days each week. So check back for their uh, uh, when they're open. But uh, you can follow them on Twitter, at MagicVT, Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, their website. Number five, Pat's Peak, New Hampshire. Two hours, 26 minutes, or 146 miles from my doorstep. Located in Henniker, southern New Hampshire, about 30 minutes northwest from Manchester, New Hampshire. A little bit about them in their words. Pat's Peak, New Hampshire's premier family snow sports destination, is a great gateway for day and night skiing, snowboarding, and snow tubing, with trails for all ability levels, three train parks, and a snow tubing park. There is something for everyone. Vertical, 770 feet, trails 28, lifts 11. What's noteworthy? Well, almost acoustic Friday nights from 7 to 11. That's right, live music with beer promotions from 7 to 9. So make sure to catch them on a Friday. COVID notes. There was an update uh, earlier in September from Chris Balambach, the general manager. More outdoor seating complete with tons of deck heating and wind blocks to make the experience more enjoyable. Takeout window for cafeteria food, 30 plus new tables that have added to outdoor seating, additional bathroom facilities at the base of the lifts for those who want to avoid going into the lodge, a reimagined lodge layout with close to 50% of the furniture removed to allow for more space in the lodge, and a new app will be ready later in the fall where you can purchase tickets, order food, and receive the latest and greatest information from the peak. Uh, that'll be their go-to communication format. So if you're planning on going there, definitely download the app when it's available. You can follow them at Pat's Peak on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course their website. Number six, Suicide Six. That worked out really well. In Vermont, <laughs> two hours, 36 minutes, or 158 miles from my house. Located in Pomfret, Vermont, central Vermont, about 30 minutes from Whitewater Junction where I-89 meets that Skiers Highway, I-91. About them, in their words, their tagline, pure joy. S6 has accessible terrain for families, plus challenging options for advanced skiers and riders. Add that to their world-class, or our world-class, ski and ride school, sprinkle in excellent snowmaking and grooming, finish it off with a fun opre ski environment, and you have a recipe for a winter adventure. Vertical feet, 650 feet, trails, 24, lifts, 3. What's noteworthy? Well, S6 is one of North America's oldest ski resorts. That's right. They opened in 1937, and they were the fifth to open in Vermont, at least among still-open ski areas. Now, on the mountain, they have a trail show-off, which I'm planning to show off on. <laughs> As for COVID notes, their general manager, Tim Ryder, did post recently that they're holding uh, passport Pricing for the season, they are also offering a Heroes Pass for first responders and essential workers. They're offering a 30-day guarantee. That is, if the season lasts less than 30 days, passes will automatically roll over to next season. Now, there are bag limitations inside, so just plan to gear up at your car, and they're planning for a Wednesday to Sunday operation. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and their website for more information. Number seven, Shawnee Mountain in Pennsylvania. Two hours, 47 minutes, or 163 miles from my house, where they are, East Stroudsburg, Eastern Pennsylvania. They are the self-described Pocono's favorite family ski resort and is just a short drive from virtually anywhere in the tri-state area. Their tagline, Ski Shawnee. 100% snowmaking and night skiing, and again, priding themselves on being beginner-friendly. 
Vertical 700 feet, trails 23, lifts 8. What's noteworthy? Their name, Shawnee. So uh, I really don't have to say any more, but um, I have a great... Uh, a lot of opportunities for some uh, some selfies and uh, other fun pictures. My buddy Tuba, who has not yet made an appearance on the pod, come to think of it, worked there, and we actually have not connected about it. So I'm curious what his experience was and what his take is. Maybe I'll have some information next episode. COVID notes, they are part of the Pocono Promise, but uh, have nothing specific to their winter operations yet. They did say we simplified the season pass and got rid of all the rules. <laughs> the one pass is the only pass you need to ski and ride the slopes this season. All access with no limitations. Hmm. Follow them on Twitter at Ski Shawnee, Facebook, Instagram, of course, their website. So those are your seven day trippers again from the central hub of Hartford, Connecticut. Now we're going to transition to the four overnighters. That's right, the four farther north mountains on the Indy Pass in the northeast. Number eight, let's just keep going in this, this list, Cannon Mountain in New Hampshire. About three hours, 22 minutes, or 228 miles from my house. Located in Franconia, northern New Hampshire. Located conveniently right off I-93, north of Loon, west of Mount Washington. A little bit about them. Quote, they're hailed by Ski Magazine as having a soulful indie vibe. It skis like a big mountain while retaining local charm. Vertical, 2,180 feet. Trails, 95. Lifts, 10. What's noteworthy? DJ's tram line. That's right. If you remember, another one of the Vermont Sports 10 gnarly trails to try this season. They also have a series of trails with the name Scrabble as part of it. So you all know how I love Scrabble. And I will certainly be checking those trails out. Now, they have a bunch of COVID updates on their website. I'm only going to mention the couple. Selling day tickets online and in advance only. Prohibiting bags and gear in buildings. Limiting day ticket sales during certain times. Many people are asking if we will require reservations. We do not currently have plans to do that and would prefer not to. We may in the future choose to limit the number of additional passes we sell, but we hope to be able to let pass holders visit without restrictions. Now, again, that may not mean indie pass holders, but season pass holders. Much of this is very fluid right now, and any of it is subject to change, so we'll leave it there. But they are looking at November 27th for their opening day. Follow them on Twitter, at Cannon Mountain. Facebook, Instagram, and of course their website. Number nine, Bolton Valley, Vermont. Three hours, 28 minutes, or 226 miles from my house. Where Richmond, Vermont, or Northern Vermont, a short 30 minutes from Burlington. Their tagline, Vermont, naturally. Do you see these two word taglines are starting to be a theme? Now, they have the highest base elevation in Vermont, I believe at 1,400 feet. They also have unparalleled, this is from them, backcountry skiing and riding with in-house guiding, instruction, and rentals. There's more night skiing riding than any other Vermont ski area with 10 trails served by four lifts every Tuesday through Saturday until 10 p.m. Vertical, 1,701 feet, 71 trails, six lifts. What's noteworthy? My buddy Aaron, snowboarder extraordinaire. We were actually supposed to hit a Bolton last season. I believe they were celebrating their 75th anniversary and were offering lift tickets for like $7.50, $7.50. 
but it was I think coming off maybe a rain wintry mix rain kind of situation so we didn't actually get together but uh, looking to do that this year now they do have some COVID updates on their website from Lindsay they well actually the first update is not COVID related but they are installing RFID uh, RFID system so hopefully that'll improve the lift loading system and related to COVID, they, Lindsay did say, quote, it's going to be a season to buy an extra puffy because you are going to be outside. <laughs> she also said, plan to spend 15 minutes or less inside. While reservations won't be needed for skiing, the resort is working on setting up a call ahead uh, to order and um, reserve a seat inside the lodge for food service. And uh, they're also going to be providing additional outdoor seating. Now, their lift policy, though, is a little murky. It sounds like they're going to allow two single strangers to ride double chairs together. Now, the industry standard has really been to separate strangers at least by two, you know, seats on a chair. So, you know, two in, two singles can sit in the corners of a quad or, or a six-pack. But uh, so that's interesting. Uh, it was a little murky how it was written, and um, I, I hate to think they're going to leave it up to to people just because you just want to have a system and follow it, right? The less time we have to think, the better. <laughs> but uh, we'll see if that changes. Follow them on Twitter at Bolton Valley, Facebook, Instagram, and their website. Number ten, the home stretch here. Greek Peak, New York, four hours, two minutes, or 262 miles from my house, located in Cortland, New York, central New York, and the scenic Finger Lakes region, conveniently off I-81. Now, they are the largest ski area in central New York, and under new ownership, the mountain has received additional renovations, including a new quad chairlift, tracks, pub and grill, new groomer, and new ski and snowboard equipment in the rental shop. So that's good. Vertical, 952 feet, trails 56, lift 6. What's noteworthy? <laughs> There's 20 lanes of snow tubing at the Adventure Center. That is legit. Also, according to the Indie blog, Jim's breakfast sandwich in the Taverna is a must-try if you are lucky enough to snag a seat in the lodge. <laughs> On the mountain, there's a trail named Freebird. So that happens to be my favorite Leonard Skinner song, and I will certainly ski it when i get there uh, uh, uh on COVID notes there was an update from west krieger who says online reservations will be required during peak times to control capacity restrictions new grab and go food and beverage options and an on snow rental group lesson and staging area follow them on social at ski greek peak uh, facebook instagram and of course the website and finally black mountain new hampshire four hours 33 minutes or 253 miles from my house jackson new hampshire northeast new hampshire mount washington valley uh, black has proudly offered classic new england skiing since 1935 yes black's rich history with a commitment to its skiers and riders and on a powder day locals choose black as the place to be for its manicured glades summit steeps and non-existent lift lines sounds pretty good Vertical, 1,100 feet, trails 47, lifts 5. What's noteworthy? Shovel handle, apparently, is the name of the first uh, overhead cable lift in the country. And their Summit Double Chair is the only chair that goes to the top of the mountain. So just think about that throwback experience. 
As for COVID uh, updates, nothing yet. Just says, uh, in addition to season pass that are on sale, they just say see in December. But for social updates, uh, follow them on Twitter at Black Mountain New Hampshire, MTNNH for short. And also check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and their website. So there's some ideas for a Northeast Indie Pass adventure. Similar loops exist in the Midwest and Western ski areas. There is a um, Idaho West route that I just took a little time to play around with Google Maps to see. Taramac, Brundage are less than an hour from each other in Idaho. And a few hours north, you can hit Silver. Similarly spaced route exists in Washington State. In the Midwest route, Michigan features Caberfay Peaks, Crystal, Shoes Mountain at Shanty Creek, all within one hour, 30 minutes of one another. And a similarly spaced route exists in Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula. Now, my spin on all this is first for the operator, for the ski area, focus and flexibility. When it comes to focus, while the mega resorts have been touting their primary focus on the outdoor snow operations, as they should, uh, and less on their indoor amenities, most smaller independently owned mountains have always done that. They don't have to maintain half a dozen base area lodges, bunches of retail spaces, restaurants, and tons of ancillary bells and whistles, skating rinks, that kind of thing. Hopefully that translate in, translates into a smooth lift experience. And they may have an easier time adapting to the ever-changing public health and operational guidelines and landscape. Now for the skier and riders, as you know, uh, this is about affordability and fun, this podcast. You know, the Indy Pass really offers an ability to keep skiing and riding affordable. $199 is a pretty low investment in a very unpredictable upcoming winter season. There's basically no blackout dates to worry about, at least on the East Coast and in the Midwest. The credit policy is simple. If you don't use it in four days, if you don't use four days of your pass, you'll get a credit towards the pass next season. Simple. Now, as for keeping skiing and riding fun, you know, part of the, the vibe, you know, is this local throwback, no crowd feel is probably the best chance at, you know, having that good experience. Now, no question, you are absolutely trading elevation and vertical for more day trips and less crowds. But we are all going to be forced to think about skiing and riding differently this year. So here's how I'm thinking about approaching the season. First, I plan to ski more weekdays than I normally would. I've actually banked a silly amount of vacation time and plan to spend a portion of it on weekdays in December and January on the mountain. Well, <laughs> if there's snow, <laughs> early season snowfall is questionable at best in the Northeast. But I plan to use my days earlier than later because of, well, the unknown of potential shutdowns due to the pandemic. Now, of course, my usual ski buddies and ski families may not have the same flexibility, but hopefully some will be able to join here and there. And of course, I did notice that not all indie ski areas are open every day of the week, so checking their operating schedules will be critical to that plan. But number two, weekend skiing, assuming that you can snag a reservation, I plan to at least plan to break up the mountain day into two parts, morning and afternoon. Morning activity, of course, is skiing getting up ridiculously early so that wherever I'm headed to ski, I arrive between 7 and 7.30 or whenever the lodge opens, can park as close to the lifts and lodge as possible and use the bathroom with basically nobody around and as clean as it's going to be and get in the lift line for first chair. I'm sure those first few runs will likely be glorious and anything after, just bonus. Uh, 
They may be wondering about that afternoon activity. Well, unless it's a powder day or the ski area is empty and you can just do laps all day, you know, I might be thinking bagging it by lunch, especially as peak crowds fill up lodges and, you know, even grab to go uh, lines start snaking around buildings. You know, skiing from 8 a.m. to say noon straight is, is probably a pretty solid day. <laughs> <laughs> so depending on how I and my fellow powderhounds are feeling, you know, the afternoon activity options could be anything from checking out a long lost local restaurant for takeout. You know, Worthy Burger in Royalton, Vermont was a recent uh, discovery. Uh, well, we knew about it for a while, but finally took the time to stop there. Or even go into that brewery you've always wanted to try, but is either closed or too far away by the time your ski day ends. Maybe even finding that famed apple cider donut that you've heard so much about but have never never actually had or even i don't know something even more less i don't know less calorie driven <laughs> more of a calorie burner and like stopping on the way back home and just doing a short you know backcountry hike with snowshoes and then just you know skiing down and that's it i don't know just something to break up the you know normal uh, what we used to think was a normal maybe day on the mountain and of course just driving back home with daylight may be really <laughs> really pleasant the point being that the day trip at least to the mountains isn't just about skiing in the event that the skiing experience just sucks <laughs> so again be a good boy or girl scout and uh, have a backup plan is probably a good move so there's my plan, my approach, my thoughts on using my Indy Pass, certainly in the Northeast and during the upcoming ski season. I'm curious what yours is. If you have a pass, if you're thinking about getting a pass, uh, Indy Pass, message me on Twitter, email, or Podbean. Would love to hear your thoughts, what you have planned, what you're thinking, what your expectations are, so we can we can learn from each other. Now, we're going to move on to our super short and last segment episode ski trivia question. According to the National Ski Areas Association, what is the first ski area to officially open in the United States? Hint, Colorado. The answer will be posted this weekend on Twitter at Powderhound Skis. Looks like it's four o'clock. Time to catch the last chair. Thank you to my listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Powderhound Skis. Or better yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcast Manager. Just type Powderhound Ski and Ride. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds.